0: What's up and welcome back to NostalgiaPod, giving you your last look at what's going on in 2023. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Last look at 2023 or 2022? Who can say? Let's go. Who's to say? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm already on to next year because, man, watching Avatar 2 this weekend felt like I was in the future with this James Cameron technology Let's taking me. Into, uh, man, the the Navi world again, Pandora, baby, <laughs> Pandora <laughs> oh, back. How 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 can I forget that name? It's so like cliche. I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> stupid, but anyways, we're gonna be talking Pan- Avatar two, as well as Bardo, an Absol record, and Survivor forty three. But Dave, just how you feeling about twenty twenty two wrapping up? We did a lot, we saw a lot, we listened to a lot. It was good. It was good. Make sure you check out our best TV
1: of 2022, best music of 2022 uh in the next week or so to end the year and then best movies of 2022 coming early Jan as well. All our scattered thoughts about the year that was cuz there was a lot of uh a lot of thoughts to be had. So a lot of thoughts to be
0: nostalgia pod. Stay plug in. Um Dave, let's start with this new Absol record. It's been a little while since we heard from him, right? Yes,
1: uh, the fifth Absol album, Herbert, but the first Absol album since December 2016, a whole six-year wait. You know, we speak of Rihanna and Frank Ocean, long wait since 2016, but Absol was also 2016, lest we forget. Herbert himself is back. Uh, the Probably the, the least... Uh, discussed black hippie member TDE rapper these days. That's really just because he's not around as much as the other guys. And I was definitely interested and looking forward to seeing what he would come back with, especially given that I know he had some. uh He's been dealing with consistent, you know, medical issues with the, uh you know, with his vision and whatnot. So happy to hear that he, you know, made a full fledged album again with TDE. A bit perplexing that. Top Dog would release both the SZA album and the Absol album one week apart after they both were almost six years in the making. Nonetheless, they're both here. We talked about SZA last week. Absol's back. Uh, What did you think? You know, I think it's, like I said, I think it's kind of been a minute since we've really talked about him because, you know, the Black Hippie guys haven't been featuring as much on each other's work as they used to back in the day. And Absol's definitely been kind of, under the radar, kind of dormant for a little bit as he got his uh, life sorted out, it seems. So,
0: what would you think about Herbert? I think Herbert, from a production and Sonic st- stand- standpoint, sounds just like phenomenal. Um, you know, start, start to finish, these tracks are really lush. They all seem to like fit together. Um, and he seems pretty comfortable on it. I think, in terms of his delivery and some of his lines, I was not fully impressed but overall i I thought that this was a a pretty solid showing um i think there are times when he gets really personal on this um which i think stand out as some of the highlights like something where you mentioned like him talking about his uh, health issues with his eyes on the title track herbert i I found that to be pretty compelling um or even on on the the first track the opening track he has a, a couple of times when he gets really personal and there are other times when he's a little bit um i don't know I, I think trying to like be almost like too clever or mm-hmm. i don't i don't know it doesn't come across the way that he thinks it does and like there was one line that stood out where he said something like i used to want to be on bet now i think i an- i it's like the, yeah. the alien and i'm like oh ash ah, nice. just didn't yeah. hit for me the way that i think he intended it that was like ah you know it's a bit more up and down that way but in terms right. of production i was really impressed
1: yeah, I think in terms of like his songwriting, uh, his rapping, lyricism, it I think it's always kind of been up and down. Like if you reflect back on Absol's career, the highlight would be Control System of 2012. That was the first record I heard of his. You know, quickly discovering all of Black Hippie all at once at that time. And on 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 that record, like that's like where like the best Absol is to be found. Songs like Terrorist Threats, songs like Book of Soul, songs like Black Lip Bastard. On songs like those, I think he was really great at kind of waxing on about his, like, observations about society and stuff. He kind of, like, went a bit down the rabbit hole, a bit off the reservation on the subsequent albums to inconsistent effect anyway. And nowadays, I think what was nice about Herbert is that he at least started to, like, bring it back around and not just kind of get fake deep about stuff. Because I never thought he was really, like, as... Uh, insightful as he presented himself to be on stuff like that. So I like it when it's just a bit more like reserved. That being said on her per- you have a song like art of seduction, which is just like groaner after groaner, like sex line and hmm. romance references and whatnot. And I was like, Oh, this is a tough one. I don't need this at all. My guy, <laughs> I, I would, I would much rather just hear like him kind of get in the bag a little bit on a song like Holland where it's like, this is just like an yeah. amazing flow for map soul you know like he has a like, great ability i think he just always has needed to kind of hone in on what kind of song he's trying to make
0: yeah i agree hollandaise is one of the standouts for me as well i think he just sounds great on that i also like one a couple songs later fuck out my face f o m f um which face, just is like hard. yeah exactly it's just it goes hard and when when it was going i was like what is the last f because i figured it was fuck out my and I was like, what's the last and then fuck on my face like, oh it's too perfect. So really um really catchy uh chorus there. What other songs stood out to you that you liked? Uh yeah. I, I honestly I really liked uh the second tr- no, the
1: was it the first track?
0: No, there's the first a track, bottle. yeah.
1: Message message in a bottle. Yeah. Like, he kinda goes in about they love me or they hate me. There's some like samples of like pundits speaking about Absol and it, I thought that's actually kinda interesting where it's like and, and it actually is bearing out exactly now. It's like Everyone's really happy Absol's back, but people used to kind of, like, talk shit about the fact that he wasn't as active and around and present in the past few years. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually, like, maybe an easy observation to make. But then again, he's it's about himself, about what he's experienced. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like that. Um, on no report card, I love that he called himself krs two. I thought that was so funny. Um, I, I, someone had to have made that reference before, obviously, to KRS-One. Um Oh, there was like, oh, I forgot what song this was on. Maybe it was on Hollandaise where he's like, Abraham, something, something, Abraham Lincoln, bitch, I'm innocent. Like, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln lawyer, double entendre. I was like, oh, okay. This is pretty cool. Um, I'm going to play with Conhead. you on fuck on my face. Uh, Do Better has got a lot of love as a single. There's um, Mac Miller interpolations on uh-huh. that. Obviously, him and Mac were uh, quite close in life. Um, I thought Punch actually sounded great rapping on Goodman. Obviously Punch is one of the top execs at TDE. He is not a rapper, uh at least normally, but he I think he sounded pretty good there. Mm-hmm. I appreciated hearing Janae Iko again on the wild side. That's kind of just a nod yeah. to uh terror's threats back in the day uh with him. And then how'd you feel about the Joey feature? Because I thought Joey sounded pretty good, but like I was like really annoyed when he like makes a reference to Icarus. And then the next bar, he like explains about flying too close to the sun, melting your wings. It's like, no, no, no. We know that, bro. We know what Icarus means. You don't have to then spell it out, you know. It was like, it was like, like filler bars almost. It was kind of annoying.
0: Yeah, I thought Joey was was fine, and th- that track overall didn't really like stand out to me very much. Um, but yeah, that that is a bit of a choice. Um, but you know, there's probably a lot of people nowadays that don't know who Icarus is, so I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's needed. Um, yeah, you know, I think you hit on most of the ones I liked. I think the second half of the album falls off a bit for me. Um something I like agree. Positive Vibes. Yeah, oh, definitely too long. But the like, like the last three like it be like that, Positive Vibes only and got a rap. I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready to move on from this at this point. Right. But yeah, I, think I think like the ahead. one
1: big highlight at the end would be on, I believe Got a Rap where he acknowledges that he tried to commit suicide last year, which I don't yes, believe thanks. was public at all. Obviously, that was the illuminate thing for him to to speak on, you know. Um But yeah, I agree. The album kind of fades away and gets a little long, and that was kind of the case with his last two albums as well, where they're just they're a bit bloated, and like we said, his songwriting, his um, messaging, is often a bit inconsistent, and like that can kind of wear on you when it's a long record. So, that being said, happy to hear Absol back after such a long wait, and he sounded sounded good, you know. So that that's great. I hope he hope he's still happy with his situation with TDE, and we hear something again from him and while we're at it schoolboy q started tweeting that we're gonna hear something soon so it sounds like tde is uh, starting up a new hot streak that sounded nice is always exciting
0: yeah shout outs to absol um, especially with him sharing that he did have a suicide attempt last year just glad that he's in a place where he's releasing music and you know feeling better hopefully so um herbert check it out and also be one of the Last tracks we add to our nostalgia best of twenty twenty two, other than maybe a few loose singles that may come out over the next couple of weeks, probably unlikely. But Dave, let's move on to TV where Survivor forty three wrapped up this weekend, or this weekend, this week, Wednesday. Um you know, you and I had been texting a little bit about the season, especially as it went on, because I think while Survivor has, has made these like changes to the game uh with more idols more like riskier advantages things where they want to put advantages out in the open so that people have to kind of negotiate and strategize around them you really just can't beat when you get really strong thoughtful creative players and i think this season thrived off of the fact that they had at least two if not and i think up to maybe like four or five players that are memorable and i would love to see come back and um you know, I think we have to start with the winner, Gabler. Um, but then maybe work our way back to who else stood out from us. What were your feelings around Gabler's win this season?
1: Yeah, I think that's kinda of the big talking point, right? Like up into this finale, I was like, this is pretty a pretty solid uh survivor season, maybe nothing spectacular on the production, new survivor twists kind of things, but more so just like once again, they did a pretty good job of casting like a diverse range of people who think and act different ways and have different backgrounds and it just manifests in a really nice way and like that's what like is the core appeal of watching survivor right Mm -hmm. and then we get to the finale and it's like well i think all of us going in we're like well if jesse can survive to the finale uh, to the final tribal he will he will win for for sure like that that was pretty obvious and of course it was obvious to his competitors that he Mm -hmm. was such a big threat and thus Uh, He gets taken out at fire and doesn't make it to the final three. It's Gabler, Owen, and Cassidy. At that point, I was like, okay, you know, Cassidy probably wasn't anyone's first pick of like the people towards the end there, you know, but with Carla gone, with Jesse gone, with Cody gone, yeah, Cassidy's probably the next most deserving one. It's a a credible survivor win. Good for her. And then like this, the really unexpected thing happens where Gabler just, really charms the jury in a really unexpected way. Like he really got everyone to buy into what he was saying and he was representing his ability to kind of move through alliances and be flexible and uh, shift where he needed to be at the right time without getting heat on himself. And it was a pretty compelling pitch. And at the same time, I think Cassidy probably needed to go a bit harder on owning why she deserved it. Cause she did deserve it and mm-hmm. she, she just didn't quite capture the jury in the way she needed to, which has been fortunate, I think. I think they were holding a lot of stuff against her, uh, mm-hmm. specifically, like, her decisions with the fire-making challenge and who was and wasn't in it, including herself. Uh, but, yeah. Like, <laughs> what the <a> whole, ridiculous <laughs> like, I know, and we'll get into that. But the whole, like, Al Gabler thing kind of coming up, and next thing we know, there was this alliance that Gabler was in with, like, was it Cody and Jesse? I forget what they called it, but, like, we're, we're we're getting told all these things at the end there from gabler and, and and the jury's like you know backing him up and like acknowledging it as they as they fit into the story and it's like you know it would be nice if like we saw the, this the audience had kind of been on this journey too and we had built it up to gabler's kind of upset win from the bottom mm-hmm. it would feel more compelling because like to us as viewers we just didn't see any of that to the point where we didn't think he had a credible chance right and certainly w- winning winning a a fire making challenge beating Jesse who's not good at fire making surely that doesn't mean anything to Gabler suddenly winning right it certainly shouldn't so I just think there there was an issue with communicating the arc of this season because the arc we thought we were getting was not the arc that it ended up being so I mean good for Gabler donating all the money he seems like a nice guy seems like a genuine guy second oldest winner that's obviously very cool Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he came a long way on the season because he started off I think very grating very annoying to both the audience and also to his tribe mates. The fact that he was able to have that self-awareness to kind of adjust how he moved on the the show and clearly it worked. So hats off to him. But yeah, I think there's some issues with uh, I think Survivor thinking of now kind of bubbled up with the way uh, Survivor 43 ended.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you summed it up really well. I I definitely think the Alliance bit was the, the piece that I think was most surprising to me in in the final because that really became a point where Cassie was made to look look like a a fool on a few of her pitches to the jury was like you know I had set this move up and I was navigating this and they all were like oh no actually there was this alliance of like five of us that had already set this up and made you believe that you were the one setting it up but you didn't actually and she was like oh I guess I just didn't realize this and neither did we as the viewer you know so we're like what the fuck like it, it doesn't feel good as a viewer to feel Blindsided in the tribal uh, final tribal council. But beyond that, yeah, it, it felt like they were way more interested in setting up some of the other contestants who seem more likely to be invited back. And I think Gabler will be invited back as a winner at some point. But Jesse and Cody specifically feel like contestants that they wanted to give a really like drawn out and full story arc to as people that they w- probably want to set up as people that will be in the franchise more and more moving forward and Jesse and Cody were great players this season I mean uh, those two as an alliance uh, Jesse made the right play in getting Cody out when he could because yeah, I think spectacular if he, wasn't it if, if they got to the final travel council together I mean how do you choose between them right and I guess at that point Jesse wouldn't have had the, the move to take Cody out so Cody probably would have won but Man, um, just two incredibly strong players. And yeah, why don't we talk about that move? Like, how, how did you feel about Jesse totally backstabbing Cody and then the, the everything afterwards?
1: Yeah, well, I think obviously he was really brilliant. It was really smart because Jesse needed to differentiate himself from his core alliance member. Jesse is more reserved than Cody. Even if Jesse had been more of the mastermind and it wasn't a 50 50 thing, he wouldn't have been able to communicate that as well, given how charming. Uh, Cody is right. So it it was, it was smart. It obviously it was cold. It was heartless, and I think like Survivor obviously is a much more like positive, happy place. They don't really like edit people into villain roles anymore, which Mm -hmm. I kind of would like to see villains again. Like it's just fun. But I mean, you see at the end there, right? Like when Jesse like stands up and like offers to shake Cody's hand, and like Cody like legit pauses and like takes a deep breath thinking about it. They yeah. swell the music on you, know, and then they embrace. And I was like, "Oh my god, that was actually like incredibly moving." Yeah. And also this amazing like Survivor play in the move of the season. You mm-hmm. know, I was like, "Wow, that was like a classic like pantheon like Survivor moment." I think.
0: I thought we were gonna get the first like punch on Survivor. I thought Cody might actually punch him because it was that much of a backstabbing move. And in listening to some of Cody's like um you know like one on ones afterwards, he was like. It was a great move, and it was the right move. I'm just mad I didn't realize it was the right move at the time. Right. Um, and and that, to that point, I think, like, <clears throat> survivor
1: IQ of viewers, and obviously anyone who's coming on the show at this point, is just so high. There's such a respect for, like, good survivor gameplay, even when it's at your own expense. Right. And, like, like you see that attitude all the time. Like, when Noelle gets taken out, when Carlo gets taken out, they're like, yeah, well played. Like, hats off to you. You got mm-hmm. me. Like, like that, and, like we're kind of beyond like the bitterness that people would feel if they get betrayed or they get voted out. Right.
0: Yep. Oh, comp- I I agree. Um, it, It's probably hard in that moment when you get voted out, especially by someone that you trusted so much to just totally realize that. But no, I, I agree with, with the sentiment. I think, you know, the, the other thing that I liked about this season compared to some of the other ones we've had, because they, they are trying to bring on like these survivor, like fans who are, diehards have watched every episode know every every contestant ever right but in past seasons I think some of the ones that they brought on have been almost like too over the top in terms of their fandom and like how they're bringing that into their gameplay and this felt like the right balance in terms of the contestants that they had were not overly obsessed with the history but were aware of the history and bringing that into the game in different ways and it felt like I, I didn't find myself feeling as like annoyed or graded by the like survivorness and like the survivor fandom of the contestants, but I appreciated that they would like call back to past moments or past strategies and, and not wanting to have certain things happen again, so on and so on. Um, yeah, I agree. We should talk about uh, fire though. And I wanted that, to ask you, the paradigm. How do you fix it?
1: I say get get the fuck out of here, dude. I think it's. I, I never really liked it. I, I returned to Survivor when it was already introduced, so you kind of saw it from its genesis. I didn't. But from what I see, like, it's played its course and its intended goals. It just shifts, like, how you target threats to, like, a vote earlier. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone's smart enough to adjust to it. So I don't like the introduction of a subtle crapshoot at the end there. Also, because now players seem to really, like, view it as, like, something that the winner of the final immunity challenge should be. Take as a risk to boost their own resume when they don't. Mm-hmm. They should just be getting credit for winning that immunity. Like I, I kind of hate that whole premise. You know, it's like, oh, actually no. Let me like take my armor off and completely expose myself just to make sure I can guarantee that win, as if I haven't done everything else to get here to this point. You know, like I, I would rather just eliminate it. You know, I think Survivor to its credit has innovated and changed throughout its twenty-two years. And that's why it's still so successful. Obviously, it's not as big as it used to be, but it's still a solid, healthy uh, show for CBS. And you have to know when your twists, your changes have run their course, and they—I have a feeling they will eventually adapt out of this. But I, I think it's like really necessary now. Like the fact that Cassie had this hold o- held over her head, I thought was like super unfair.
0: Yeah, Chris Underwood putting himself in the fire making challenge as a way to get out. I forgot who he was taking out that season um, seems to really have uh, set up this idea that if you don't have another like strong contestant that you're trying to like put up against someone that you're trying to get out in fire making, then the one who won immunity should be the one that goes in and just like takes the clear like winner to that point out. And that, that just seems ridiculous. Like if, if you win immunity, you should not have to give it up in order to like convince the jury that you're a strong player you want immunity especially the final immunity the one with the most at stake exactly you know? and those you're challenges making it like it's the one with the least value it's so stupid and cassidy not only won that challenge but she fucking dominated like her stack even though it fell like right after she got on the yeah. plank like everybody else is, they got to, like third 12 or 13 they fell over like she deserved to win yeah. that final And she immunity. won three challenges too she was a great a great player at the merge stage you know uh-huh. I, I thought, and like
1: she, i mean to her credit like she was able to survive a lot of early heat and shift around and like why doesn't she get credit for using carla as a shield like i don't hmm. understand yeah you know, it's... it's like it's like oh carla's gone jesse has this amazing move but he can't finish because he always sucked at challenges yep he lost hmm. cassidy should win you know yeah but like they were so willing the jury to be charmed by Gabler and like, Uh again, credit to Gabler. He really nailed it with the pitch. Yeah. But like, I think just, she got totally fucked and the fire should not have factored into that at all.
0: I, I completely agree. How would you feel if the final immunity challenge was like, whoever came in last has to, is now on the jury. Like instead of it being like you are like on the jury by like vote, it's like, if you come in last in that challenge, you are automatically on the jury.
1: Ah, that's really interesting. So, like, as opposed to having a final... Well, we don't have a final vote anymore. We have the fire-making. So Mm -hmm. instead of just eliminating fire-making, we're almost, like, skipping a step, huh? And putting value on the challenge. I like that. Because I think Survivor does a really good job, uh, especially compared to other reality shows, of really making fair and objectively uh, winnable, like, challenges to mm -hmm. all body types and sizes and gender and whatnot. So. I would love a reemphasis on a challenge for sure. I think that's actually a really nice idea because it at least does at least tries to do what Fire did too where like taking some of like the threat uh heat out. So like if you can last to that final challenge, then you just have to win it and you're good. Mm-hmm. You know, or not or not lose it. I think I think that I think that's a decent
0: idea. I uh, I think the downsides to it are in terms of the storytelling of the season, they like to use the like Final Four as like a reflective point for the season and um, also like the strategy of setting up the narratives for the Final Tribal Council so they would have to think about that in terms of storytelling and it does take some of the power away from the person who wins immunity in the Final Tribal Council in terms of getting the choice of who they're bringing with them and then who they're sending as like the third person in but I have confidence that the show can figure out a different way but it's pretty evident that Fire can't be you know a, a deciding factor for the final three moving forward right so <clears throat>
1: we know we're getting survivor 44 in spring 23 i believe march 1st it starts i imagine that'll be a season similar to a, the one we just had but then a year from now fall 2023 will be 45 and everyone's assumed that, that is going to be the first like season featuring returning players from this yes. new era post survivor 40 um like you mentioned, they gave a lot of shine to people like Cody and Jesse and others. Those people would actually be filming 45 uh, pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. Actually, would they be filming it now? I forget the exact cadence, but actually, they might be filming it in the spring. So like that that's coming up. That's on the mind, right? I'm sure they're already well into casting with the returning players. So mm-hmm. that would be very tantalizing because I think we have had a lot of great, characters especially out of the non winners from the last uh, three seasons so far so I think that'll be like a really exciting one and hopefully they introduce a lot of uh, change to format and twists and whatnot that in that time
0: yeah for you who would be like the people you would want to see come back most from the last like five seasons so far yeah there's a lot
1: of ones right I think uh, 41 probably has a lot of lot yeah. of there's right Shan Ricard Xander
0: yep Those three came to mind
1: immediately. And even other people that you could easily want to bring back, like Danny, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people there. Um, This season, obviously, Cody, Jesse, Carla, Cassidy, Gabler. Um, Who else was in last
0: season? I'm forgetting 40. Yeah. You know, so like the final three was Mike, Romeo and Marianne. And and Jonathan from 42. Yes. Right. Obviously, I just
1: want to see that guy Mm -hmm. giant again. Um, <laughs> although
0: some somewhat problematic, but
1: he was, was yes. Oh, um, uh, I guess I
0: was, like high. That? Yep, uh, high was pretty good. Um, yeah, Rox Roy had a nice story arc, although uh, not <laughs> not <alike>. very liked. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I'm trying to remember her name. Hold on, I'm pulling it up. Yep. Uh, I forget that Marianne won last season. Man, that's yeah insane to me. <laughs> Oh, Drea. Drea from 42. Yeah, I thought was really great. She would be able yep. nice to
1: come back as well. Yeah. Yep. So I think, yeah, it's so strong great choice. And maybe they do like a half and half kind of thing, like half returners, half new, but there's plenty of great choices. Yes. You know? and I would imagine, like, I, I wonder if they ever go back to pre 40 people. Obviously, some people are going to start aging out of being a realistic pick, but. Eventually, they're going to do a new-school versus old-school Survivor, you have to imagine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, obviously, with 41 onward, there's less days, it's a faster game, and then pre-40 and on before, it's a longer game. So, like, these contestants only know one version of Survivor. So, like, could you introduce a new version of a new length somewhere in the middle and, and pit them against each other? Obviously, I know they went to a shorter length due to cost... Uh, certainty with the production of the show and it's like you know future and finances and whatnot so maybe they won't do that but yeah i think maybe down the line maybe season 50 will be the the return of some some old heads i don't know
0: i i think the hard thing is like season 50 puts them what like three more years down the line so by then is tony gonna want to come back because you really can't bring back older winners and not have tony after his last performance i know and like, yeah, like you, 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 it's a lot of people in their forties,
1: right? Like, yeah, no matter, yeah, so maybe not, but uh, forty-five, I think we're all pretty excited for because we, we we assume we'll see some returning faces, which will be awesome.
0: Definitely. Uh, let's know your thoughts on Survivor. How do you fix fire? What do you think of Jesse's move? But let's keep it moving to the big little screen. We got uh, Inaritu. Back in our lives, man. Um were you itching to get some more in a retu? Well, I don't know if I was itching for it, but at the same
1: time, I really do like Birdman and I really love the Revenant, his last two films. It's been a while since the Revenant, but you know, he he won Best Director two times in a row, I think, justly for those two movies. And this is not what I would have wanted to see next in Bardo, but I really like to defend The Revenant. Some people kind of shit on it now. I was going like, to say. Make fun of the bear scene. I think that movie fucking rips. It looks amazing. Leo and Tom Hardy are so fucking good in it. I love that shit. as like a frontier uh, movie, you know. And Birdman, I haven't seen it since it came out. Maybe the fake Warner visual aspect of it has faded from its spectacle at the time. But I remember enjoying that. You know, Emma Stone. You hate Twitter you know st- still still current uh, <laughs> yeah what about you how do you feel about his two most recent works obviously bardo is inaritu's return to making a movie in mexico for the first time in a long time
0: yeah i mean we hadn't seen a, a big screen uh thing from him in seven years revenant was 2015 um and he'd only done a, a short film um in 2017 so really hasn't been doing a, a ton of stuff um yeah, you know, both Birdman and The Revenant are movies that, like, I appreciate. Um, I think I, I would prefer The Revenant over Birdman, but um, I really liked the, the score of Birdman, like the, like, drums throughout or something that is, is like, very memorable to me. But I, I don't think I necessarily was like, man, when are we getting Alejandro Inaritu back in our lives? Um, So for me, I wasn't, like, fully anticipating this, but when I heard he was dropping this movie, I was like, I definitely want to check it out. It'll probably be pretty good. And I don't know, man. Bardo was was a tough watch for the most part for me. I have to say, once... I think it's the kind of movie that you have to meet it on its own terms. And once you meet those terms, it clicks. But if you have a hard time meeting those terms, I think you're going to have a rough time with this. What about you? Yeah, well, I think the subtitle is actually super apt.
1: Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truth. It's like, you know what? That's kind of what it feels like watching this movie, A False <laughs> Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, you know? It's like, ah, oh, if you, you you lean into it, you like kind of squint and you see it kind of thing. But, I mean, a lot's been made of the fact that this is another, like, autobiographical, the d- putting director putting himself in the movie, in the story that we've gotten this year after Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans and James Gray's Armageddon time. But the thing that seems to be a common refrain without this is that, people have kind of knocked Inaritu's like self-importance as a voice for a while now. And Bardo is him leaning so far into that, right? It's literally about an artist, like almost defending himself from, from criticism of his work and his art and his career and being okay with being happy about what he's done and achieved and stuff. And it's like, I think that a lot of people just don't want to hear that from in too, you know, and whether that's fair or not, I think that's just a sentiment you have in like the film community. Unfortunately. Um, the thing that was like right away, like you watch this movie and it's super surrealist. It's super abstract. And that's just not what I was expecting going in. And I think you have to try and like latch on to some of the moments where it's at least a bit more grounded. Cause like, I'm totally for like, you know, expression is like visual storytelling and stuff but i just i just don't know if like the the message really comes together to almost justify this movie kind of being all out there and stuff and like it, it did remind me a bit of some of the weirder scenes in andrew dominic's blonde unfortunately for that reason where it's like i just don't really understand what this is supposed to be doing and like your plot mechanics are kind of Like, they're they're almost, like, too stilted and simple to justify this much, like, surrealist stuff. So I don't know. I definitely struggle with it a lot. It's a long movie, but even if it wasn't that long, I just had a hard time connecting with it, unfortunately. I really wanted it to be good, but I don't think it's that great.
0: You mentioned the length, and I think that makes some of the surreal stuff seem even harder to really sit with because it's very indulgent, right? And you think about like there's literally a moment near the end of the movie where you know we're gonna spoil some plot points at this point so if you want to like circle back please do um after he has a stroke and i think it's insinuated that he's going to die he's like walking through the desert and like seeing his parents and his family's like kind of following him and he's telling them that, that they have to go back and i literally was just like oh my god we get it like i just was like we've been sitting with this like idea of like this is his death and he's moving away from like real life he's in this desert i was just like i i can't be with this anymore like i just need this movie to end at this point and i feel like there's a couple of moments like this like uh, the loss of of his uh second son mateo um a day after he's born is something that is like a, a major driver of character development and and plot in the movie right because there's even points where like not only do they show Mateo's death and him actually being like put back in to, you know, the mother's womb in the, like the, one of the very first scenes. Um, but it's called back to a second time, you know, when uh, the main character, hold on, I forgot his name. So um, uh, silver, Silverio, I don't know how I forgot that um, where Silverio and his wife, uh, Lucia are making love and he's going down on her and then the baby's head pops out and he pushes it back in. And it's just like, all right, like I understand that you're trying to get the idea of like their intimacy is impacted by this loss that kind of just like hangs over their relationship and their family. But holy smokes, like this is like really in in your face and like out there and not, not very subtle, you know? And that's the thing yeah. is it feels like some of this could have been way more subtle, um, but it's, it's quite outlandish and really, Like hammering home some of this like metaphorical uh, abstractionism, like you mentioned. Um, What 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 were like the? Because it's kind of like in vignettes of his life. What were the vignettes that you liked more than others? Right. Well, I think just quickly speaking to that
1: subtlety point you mentioned, right in the beginning, where it's like he's like in the bathroom and he hears like the radio talking about how Mexico has agreed to sell the state of Baja California to the United States for the for Amazon specifically. And I was like, wow, that is, like, super on the nose, but okay. But then it actually becomes, like, a continued, like, furthering point in the story as we go. And it's, like, almost a way for him to to connect to him having some guilt about leaving Mexico behind and emigrating to the U.S. and whatnot. I was like, yeah, man, this is, like, a bit on the nose. Like, I don't know if you have to be, like, Mexico selling Baja to Amazon, you know? It's... (laughs) jesus christ yeah something a bit more insightful i don't know yeah um it... in, in terms of the vignette i liked I, I think in the beginning like when he goes to uh the talk show that he used to mm. be involved at the network or whatever that was actually pretty cool i thought the production design the lighting looked really nice and yeah. i'm always kind of there for like when the the lights come on and the host kind of switches up his energy on mm-hmm. the uh the guess stuff like that but that was probably the most effective thing to me and because like, because that was also like the most like grounded aspect of the early goings too
0: yeah no yeah I, I thought that was really well shot and i think that's actually something we have to give credit for is his his eye and his filmmaking is really cool there's some beautiful beautiful uh cinematography in this one of the the shots that stands out most to me is when he's talking with his daughter in the like infinity pool at the resort that the family's at where they're when they're dropping Mateo's ashes off um and they're they're discussing her like decision to leave Boston and come back to Mexico um and the shot from behind where it's just him and his daughter looking out at the ocean in this pool and then she like goes underwater and swims towards the camera it's just like this incredibly beautiful and like moving shot and I I really was struck by that but the other one which is our our background if you're watching on youtube is when he goes to the the dance club and it's kind of like this uh this longer vignette where it's him you know uh, having this movie uh that makes him famous this documentary that makes him famous being shown to the uh, talk show host confront i believe that was the same guy right the same talk show host that confronts him and is just like dressing him down about how like his creativity is like stolen and he's not actually that much of a genius and all this and then they go to this dance club with as a family and i think that dance club scene especially like you have david bowie um <laughs> it playing and, and it's just like the, everything drops out but bowie's voice and him just doing this amazing dance with a disco ball lighting the room it's just like incredible filmmaking one of my favorite like visual scenes of the year probably second second notable
1: bowie Needle drop of the fall, of course. After sun, Paul Mescal mm-hmm. really gets it
0: on to the Bowie part of Under Pressure as well. So yeah, we're always down for a Bowie dance. Let, and I got I gotta say, Let's Dance is just an all time classic. Um, yeah, uh, underrated song in my opinion. But um, yeah, what were the the ones that you liked the least? The vignettes. Ah, uh, God, it's hard to say.
1: Um, <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> all the baby shit I didn't like. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> just
0: to call it the baby shit makes me laugh.
1: <laughs> you know, I was kind of there in the beginning where he's like, he's talking to like the U.S. ambassador, some like you know, swarmy old white guy, mm-hmm. and like next thing you know, he like envisions like the Battle of uh, chapultec I think it is. You know, and like the concluding battles of the Mexican American War. And I was like, I just don't know, like what this is supposed to communicate here. You know, it's like the, you guys are talking. About the war of the past, and you clearly see it in different ways as a Mexican, and as an American, we get it. Mm-hmm. You, you have to like show like the conclusion of the the battle. I, I just don't understand. And then like I don't know later on he like he he's he communing with Cortez, the Spanish conquistador, and it's like I don't know, man. Like I, I really struggle with the surreal shit, honestly, because like I don't know, I, maybe if I was more invested in the like the grounding plot it would have been different but i just wasn't
0: yeah i agree the the battle didn't really work so well for me um i'm trying to think of like the other moments that I, i think a lot of the stuff near the end um you know like after he has the stroke and he's kind of like walking around that that didn't really like sit very well or didn't really like meet me very well and then i think um you know, like some of the stuff where he's in the house with his uh, with his wife um, after he comes home, um, after finding out he won the award. And she's like, you know, you're you're talking without moving your, your mouth or something like that. And then she's like, she's there. Then she disappears. And then I, I just was having a hard time following that. And you mentioned the, the baby aspect of it all. When that pops back up in that, I was really like, oh, I don't know. like <laughs> I feel like I might have to take a break from this movie. Um, I mean. We know Inaritu is going to make better stuff in the future, so not even like hopeful that he makes better stuff, but just that he mm-hmm. he finds some some sort of uh, I don't know idea or inspiration like like the Revenant that he can go back to and just uses his, his knack for filmmaking and storytelling in a different way. Yeah, but, I mean bad beat for Netflix as well between Bardo and Noah
1: Baumbach's White Noise. They didn't really find a best picture contender the way they've consistently done the past few years it seems like this year it didn't
0: they just they they picked the wrong horses this time absolutely well dave did james cameron make a movie that might be a best picture contender with avatar 2 way of the water shoot <laughs> Sully, stick together my guy we are so fucking back let's go <laughs> yeah um i i, I guess i want to ask you first like What's your temperature on the first Avatar? You know, it's been 13 years since we got it. Uh, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Unseated number one. by is, is this still number one? I thought it was unseated by Avengers. Is that
1: uh, the case? Good, good question. So, unadjusted for inflation, of course, Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time. It was able to surpass the endgame pretty substantially with the two re-releases. Of course, China re-release in early 2021 was almost $60 million, and then... The re release this uh, fall uh, in the lead up to Way of the Water was another like 75 million. So now it's like, I think, 100 or so over Endgame for number one, once again, unadjusted, of course. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the temperature, uh, I'm a big fan of Avatar. Uh, I have like really fond memories of going to see the original, you know, December 09. I don't remember when exactly I saw it in relation to opening weekend, but I do remember like the big blizzard, the big snow that we had in New York at that time. It's a pretty mm. common story a lot of people have if they saw it in New York or New York City or something. Saw that with some of my friends and like we was really excited to see it. And then it actually ended up being my first Blu ray purchase as well, was ah. the Avatar Extended Edition, which was the way you could see the extended um sex scene between Jake and Netiri. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, I think people know that scene, but almost forget that it's only on the Blu ray because when we had the re release come out this year, it wasn't there. And when I saw the re release this September, people in my crowd, like, audibly gasped when it cut and didn't show the extended scene. And I had to look it up. I was like, oh, it's because it's only a Blu ray scene. Makes sense. You're with some
0: horny ass viewers, dude. Hell
1: yeah. (laughs) And I was looking forward to seeing it again this fall because it had been some time and I wanted to see it again. So I saw an IMAX 3D. I didn't see it in 3D at the time, and I was like really blown away with the quality of the 3D, which I think is well-known at this point. It's the best movie ever made in 3D, one of the few that really justifies seeing it in 3D, and I loved it. I thought it still really holds up and rips as just a fun adventure. As people know, it's familiar story, story tropes. Pocahontas, Ferngully, Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. Dances with Wolves. We know this, yep. but I don't fucking care because I think it's just a fucking banger ass time. I still really enjoyed it uh, when I saw the re-release. So I was really anticipating Way of the Water as a result. We know it's been so, so long. This movie went into production. Finally, back in 2017, a very long process to make this. But uh, doubt Big Jim at your own peril because I, I think he did it again. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um yeah just so quickly for me it's a movie that i i think i've seen maybe twice um i like it i appreciate it but i i wasn't as blown away by all of it um i i, I recognize that the filmmaking aspect the inventive aspects the dedication of jim cameron to be able to make a movie that looks this stunning and is so much cgi almost all cgi is just remarkable he is a dedicated man like he he has a vision he's like i'm gonna fucking make this vision and no matter what i have to do to do it if i have to make a submarine that can go to the far furthest (laughs) depths that they've ever gone or if i need to create new technology in order to capture the images the way i want to he does it and i i completely respect that and i mean Mm -hmm. you even just look at his the films he's made and it's like yeah he's undeniably one of the greatest filmmakers of our lifetime so yeah
1: James Cameron's resume, we should just state it real quick. He made two of the greatest sequels of all time in Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and Aliens. And then he literally made the biggest movie ever twice in Titanic and Avatar. And now he's just running it back with more Avatar, but he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invent underwater motion capture filmmaking. I'm going to do VFR, variable frame rate in picture. I'm going to have a screen on, on, on your movie screen. That'll have different frame rates in different parts of the same shot. So he, he just, in, on one hand, would it be cool if he was more like Ridley Scott and Spielberg you're just crapping out movies all the time as he gets older? Sure, we would love that because, you know, the quantity would be fun. But I can't help but just be really impressed that he was like, you know what? My resume is unlike anyone else's and I'm just going to do what the fuck I want to do. And it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And I, I think going into this, I was like, all right, I know that I'm going to be blown away visually. I know that this will probably be a competently made movie. I really came out just impressed and saying, wow, this is really, really great. And um, I, I should never have doubted him. I think my, my take backs of this are a little long, which I mean, fuck, we just talked about Bardo. It didn't feel as long as Bardo and it was about 30 minutes longer. So I'll give it credit <laughs> there. Um 13 year wait it can be long that's my take on it (laughs) i i do have to say three hours 12 minutes um it's it's a bit of a a task and this is is. after what watching the batman which was two hours and 50 minutes this year movies are getting longer um not not exactly sure how to make sense of that given the fact that everything else uh, in terms of our lives are mostly getting shorter and, and more consumable um i i think the I think I really liked the second hour, which I, I've heard a lot of people having issues with that. And the third hour, I think, is undeniably one of the greatest action movies of the last yeah. probably like five years. So it's <laughs> like, okay, James Cameron's throwing his fastball, um, hitting hitting the black still. Um, but overall, I think I'm, I still have the same takeaway where it's like, yeah, Avatar is pretty good. I just don't understand why this is like the highest grossing movie of all time. It's kind of insane.
1: <laughs> man. It's all about the spectacle. Um, no one goes in and is like, ah, James Cameron, amazing writer, amazing dialogue. That's, that's, that's not what he does. Truly, mm-hmm. it's never what he's done no. if you watch his other movies. But that's fine, because that's not what he's invested in. That's not where he excels. And I think, to your point, I think Avatar The Way of the Water is clearly superior to the original. And to me, a big part of that was I thought it was significantly more emotionally resonant mm-hmm. and affecting. In that regard, which again, with James's track record is n- not a given, <clears throat> and then of course, it still has all those other qualities we were coming to expect, which was you know pioneering new filmmaking techniques and uh, presenting that to the audience in a kind of breathtaking manner. Um, and the action chops that he has as a filmmaker well established but still really great the The ending is just a fucking thrill, you know. But I was really surprised with how much I connected with the Sully kids. I think that's kind of the key hang-up with this movie, working or not working for someone, would be whether you like being with the Sully children. And not that they're all super richly drawn or anything, but I all think they they make enough impression and they really fit the movie. And like you said, that middle hour, once we get to uh, the ocean uh, kingdom, the met the Caena and we meet a new kind of Navi, a more aquatically adapted Navi. And you see some stuff that you know well. It's like kid gets bullied by other kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Outcast middle brother, stuff like that. I was like, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. <laughs> Obviously I know what they're doing. I know what's happening, you know? But I was really digging it. I thought the youngest kid, uh talk was it? Tok.
0: Took. Took Super cute. Super Oh yeah super
1: lovable dude how could you not love Tuke?
0: although i do not. have to say the fact that they just kept taking Took everywhere with them like get a babysitter yeah. bro like what's happening yeah, yeah <laughs> at like, the end there
1: when like Took they're in a fucking not.
0: war zone and they're taking Took out on just like a jaunt into <laughs> the battlefield like what is what is going on
1: what was it Took and Kiri? they're like we have to go back and get spider
0: I'm yeah like, Tuk, stay back you <laughs> yeah, not have to right. go <laughs> Tuk, you you cannot add anything to this mission just go home uh, just be
1: safe but i think they do a really good job of uh, at least for me I, I really worked with um the two sons you know um i'm trying to remember their names uh it's the oldest N- one is the tam the tam and then the middle one loak i think they do a really good job with loak by the end there too and then when uh Obviously, spoilers for Avatar 2, duh. But when N'Taam dies, I was like, I was fucking sad, man. It's not like we even spent a lot of time with Tam right? Because mm-hmm. he was like the he was the oldest son, he was the most obedient one, the most competent one. He was the one who idolized, you know, Jake Sully the best as his dad. But I don't know, like I really liked Loak's stuff, especially once he starts connecting with the the Tuktuun, the, the whales. thought yes. that, that was like a brand new introduction to this that I thought worked pretty well, really interesting, and. I was like, pretty invested with Loak by the end there. And then that's not even to mention, uh, I think the Kiri character, who is the, the mm-hmm. progeny of uh, Sigourney Weaver's avatar, which was an and interesting. And is Sigourney Weaver. and Played by Sigourney Weaver, I think, in a kind of brilliant way, right? Like, Sigourney yeah. Weaver playing a teenager via mocap pretty compellingly. Mm-hmm. Kiri character also, I thought, was quite interesting and, and well-realized. Well, well so Kiri and Loak, I think, probably stood out the most to me. How'd you feel about all the kids?
0: yeah i i really liked all the kids um i think the one like drawback to the kids getting so much shine is like you basically sideline zoe saldana and kate winslet Uh, which is like what a fucking choice that is (laughs) it's something only james cameron could do totally i think that's exactly
1: right like he is better with male characters than female characters uh uh, generally speaking and natiri is sidelined unfortunately i think natiri is fucking awesome badass in the first Avatar. Zoe Saldana, one of the great motion capture performances the first Avatar I would huh? say, easily. But she doesn't have a whole lot to do in this and kind of like the, the drawback of James Cameron presents itself where it's like Jake gets to do like a lot of the dad stuff but then Tiri doesn't get to do a lot of mom stuff. Oh. And she's just kind of playing off Jake and that's just I think unfortunate because I really like that performance and that character from the first movie
0: completely agree and the only like real time Natiri gets to show out is when she's just being a warrior and being like right. a, a angry her mom who's on a rampage yeah, crazy like, mom
1: i was like ah, oh, this is a little little, little tough on the edge for me yeah yeah
0: and then you get ronald played by kate winslet who is set up as like the one that they need to win over in order to like stay as part of the village and then she gets maybe like five or six lines and, and most times she's just like pretty salty and like angry and it's like man like you have Kate Winslet like you gotta like let her shine and I I assume they're setting that up for the third movie Mm -hmm. where they're obviously taking a stand with the uh medicaina and maybe Kate Winslet will have more of a role there but I was definitely disappointed by that but just circle back to your your first question loved all the kids um completely agree on the middle one um Lola Loak, i i think his connection with the um to the tokun the totokun um was one of okay, the yes the most moving aspects of the whole movie for me and i think speaks to one of the most evident piece of this which is just like james cameron has such a respect and love for the the ocean and for sea creatures oh, and yeah. for the connection that people can have with them and i think that was one of my favorite parts even just thinking about it, it makes me a little bit emotional because it's like so beautiful to see not only uh lowak but the rest of the Metakaina have these relationships with, with these these creatures and the relation the relationship that the creatures have back with them and it's just like really wonderful to see and add so much to the movie that's why i loved the second hour which some people feels a little too long no. or indulgent. Yeah, yeah. It's like man this is like such a love letter to like the ocean like how could you not and then it really sets you up to hate to hate, hate, hate the the poachers, you know the humans who are yes. killing them just to get the the thing from their their brain that right. lets humans live or the stops aging on un- if you will. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, I I really I really loved all stuff with the kids and the stuff with mm-hmm. the ocean in particular. I do feel like the like head of the medicaina um, so what his Curtis. name was Pretty a ton of worry. I I thought I actually thought he was like all right. I feel like like both him and Ronald like. They just like didn't give them enough to really be no, much. They just have to be like regal leaders. Exactly. I um, like the fr-
1: I like the scene when they show up though, and and like uh you know all the sullies do the I see you you know touch mm-hmm. the head gesture, and then all the medicaina are like, who the fuck are these weirdos with their little tails?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that was pretty good. Um, yeah, so tell me about the third hour because I think that that's really the thing. Yeah. Oh wait, actually, real quick, going back to the poachers, um, Jermaine Clement yeah. uh, of um, uh, I was going to say of and play of the, the Conquerors. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I I really love his performance in this because you can just yeah. tell that he feels so stuck by this like corporate, capitalistic yeah. marine thing. biologist character, but he really like has a love for them. And I, I I was a little sad to see him die, but also felt like none of them could have made it out. So um you know yeah. also a little happy to see them die also Gian- giovanni Rabisi just showing up for like one quick like download scene which i loved that because they- it was literally a download scene where they're like yeah we're just gonna give you this information so good yeah um so, so it's, well to that
1: point real quick like you know going in obviously years and years ago they announced stephen lang would return uh to avatar 2 mm-hmm. and not like Sigourney weaver in a new role he would return as Quarish. and i'm like huh how are they going to do that? Because Korich is a uh, super dead. Stupid me. If I had thought about it for more than a second, the bad guys have avatars too. What a great <laughs> idea. How did I not see this coming? <laughs> I mean, but I don't, I, yeah. I like Stephen Lang as a chewing the fuck out of everything over the top bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, calling people buttercup and shit. Like, I've always loved him as a bad guy. And him, ha- like, them being able to, like, kind of, like, go undercover a little bit as, you know, lo- looking like, you know, uh, the Navi and whatnot, I enjoyed that because I think they were able to kind of like play a lot of hits off the first movie throughout this part, like watching Korich um, go get the Banshee, go at the flying mount, right? Watching um, the Sullys learn how to ride the, the, the sea Banshee uh, equivalents, basically, and like go through that. Like I liked a lot of like the the kind of like montages that are almost like nods to stuff that was like really big and rousing in the first movie. But yeah, overall, it was cool that Korich, um was back, just because I thought Lang is really fun as the bad guy here. But uh, I yeah, agree. the 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 ending obviously is really um, big and wowing, and
0: I think just just really super engaging and yeah, I mean, incredible
1: action filmmaking. Honestly,
0: Cameron basically. Puts together titanic and like terminator 2 for that like final hour and it just is fucking incredible the guy obviously loves sinking ships like he loves things where the water is rising and you know it's like perfect storm esque. um i i think when you finally get jake having the showdown with korish it's just like fuck yeah like let's go and i I really love the moment when like they like all the Sullys can get away and chorus is like you know i'm always going to be coming after you like and then he's like all right well, why don't we just end this now i was like let's go like and, you know really like was like stand up i uh, like stand up in your seat moment really cool um yeah what were your favorite like moments in that final like hour
1: yeah definitely that um when uh Nataeum dies you know like him mm. going back in to like save everyone else and i like i started to get a feeling i was like we're gonna lose someone there's no way yeah and i was like oh and the way he like At the end, when he's about to die and he's like, I want to go home, and they all like accept that he's about to pass, and they're like, Yeah, it's okay, you can go home. I was like, Oh, this is like really fucking sad. And Mm -hmm. like, I wouldn't expect to feel that about a character I just knew, met, and also the character who's not Loa, the one you've spent all the time with, you know. But I think like they do a good job of, I think, building up these connections of family and brotherhood. And I think Avatar through two movies also, I've really enjoyed how they. Kind of present this kind of animist uh, view of of nature and whatnot, and you know, Awa communing with everyone, right? So like, when they pay it off at the end there, and they return the Teyam's body to the sea, obviously a nod to how Sigourney Weaver's body is given away at the end of the first movie. But hmm. uh, just like this stuff, like I, I I just I'm only willing to meet Avatar where it's at with like its presentation of its like more spiritual stuff. I think a big part of that was Kiri, basically the whole time is able to slowly kind of fit into that in a new way for this story, which I, uh, I quite enjoyed, but yeah, I mean, like, I think like all the set pieces are really great to like everything with the whales to like watching, watching the, watching the poacher, um, poacher crew take down the whale in full, you watch like the whole sequence and, like, you know, like, Spider is, like, fucking so sad watching it happen from, like, the, the bridge of the main ship and stuff. That was, like, I think really effective. And then, obviously, I just love watching, like, the Na'vi fly around or swim around attacking the uh, the humans. Like, I think this, it always looks so good. And it, it's just probably the best example of how this completely, like, CG realized world just looks so crisp you yep. know and it's not that the visuals are always like super super amazing i think a part of that is like the vfr does change and it's hard to i think keep up with like what level of picture you're watching in real time how could anyone like track that but i just think the action is always just it's just super credible and super super thrilling as well and like jake and natiri like i just love watching them fucking slit throats because they're badasses
0: yeah you know um there's like that moment where they go back to the ship to get Took and uh the the other daughter uh katiri and You're um right. yes thank you and they get onto the boat and they're like a stealth mission basically like kind of like sneaking around even though uh all the marines know that they're coming and it's just like so tense and so well done it's really amazing you mentioned also the the stuff with like the whales and um uh, the uh the one that Loak friends um, yes pa- like the, the outcast uh, one hyacan um man he fucked shit up in that last scene and it's so <laughs> awesome it's just like so satisfying to watch and like have the ocean kind of like get back and also i think he, who does he save at one point he uh oh doesn't he pull jake and loak up after like like yes. lo- yeah that he's drowning yes. that that honestly is like some of the like most tense stuff is like how uh natiri and jake are both completely like spent after their their individual battles and mm-hmm. the way that kiri and uh, uh loak save them is just really an awesome way i think to end the movie and then you have like the final emotional beats but right. man overall just i thought the movie hit in so many different ways
1: yeah i think even our our introduction to uh paya khan where loak looks like he's fucking doa from this shark you mm-hmm. know gonna drown like that was i think really tense really thrilling And the way they faded out, I was like, oh, my God, are we going to lose a kid this way? He literally drowned? That would be fucking gutting. Mm -hmm. But then you actually meet this completely new uh, factor faction in the Avatar world, which is these really thoughtful, intelligent whale creatures. I was like, wow, this is
0: more intelligent than us. Yeah,
1: pretty sick. Um, Yeah, man. Uh, I thought the movie was really just a blast. And uh, yeah. obviously the spectacle is the number one like appeal of this movie, just like the first. I think that definitely delivers, but I think because there's a significant improvement on the emotional resonance of this story and your connection to the core characters, that's why I think it's a clear improvement on the, on the next one. Um, producer John Landau said that they are looking, assuming they do go ahead with the future of the franchise, that they were looking to meet a new culture once again which would be a new biome which i think is like i was going to the it. air right oh yeah i don't know maybe like the desert or something you know
0: it's like yeah. you think
1: think of star wars right like star wars is classic for all your biomes right through the original trilogy we go to desert world snow world forest world you know I sky like world yeah you know, we're i feel like we're kind of doing that which <laughs> well i'm i'm down for it cuz like I, I like like the the different cultures of the navi i think is also still untapped potential as well because it also adds to this like you know general theme of togetherness and acceptance of stuff which has kind of been you know through the whole movie ever since jake you know went from outsider to you know leader of the uh Omotakaya, you know so mm-hmm. uh, i think there's a lot of potential for for the future and i think like the fact that they were able to step up i think the dramatic beats Of this story, this franchise's storytelling, has me like even actually more excited than I would have been,
0: even if just the spectacle was great, because we knew the spectacle would be great. Well, and you know, to to kind of talk about the future, Cameron mentioned that he wants to make five of these, but if this one flops or doesn't make as much money or there's not as much interest, he might only do three. Yeah. What what would be your call at this point? It's on pace to make five hundred twenty five million opening. Weekend box office worldwide. I think that's actually coming down a bit. Um, okay, China number is a lot
1: lower than expected for number of factors, including COVID. So, more we can't really speak to the box office until we watch it through the end of the year. Obviously, it's about to just dominate the holiday time in the U.S. For example. Um, well, yeah, they're gonna make three because they already filmed all of three. They just have to pay for the posts. So, that's already kind of decided, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I love the C5, you know? I don't know if we have, the, if Cameron necessarily has the time, right? Because, like, he he has to want to go forward honestly necessarily waiting for new technology to be available to create. Lest we forget, Avatar was in his brain long before he made it. And same thing with Avatar 2, with, like, the underwater mocap. Again, they filmed this in real water. It wasn't CGI water. You know, when you see the characters, it's mind-blowing shit. Assuming he's not waiting to invent some new technology once again for the upteenth time, yeah, he can probably get it done. He is 68. Like, he's not, he's got a ton of time left for, for, for these long productions, right? And, um, I'm certainly down for five, but we'll at least get three, you know? So, yeah.
0: There is a piece of me that, I mean, if he wants to keep making these, I'll keep going. But I also would kind of like to see him get back to something a little bit more grounded um you know like obviously like terminators not necessarily like a grounded movie aliens isn't like a grounded movie but it's at least more of a world that we know um he's a bit removed from true lies wouldn't you say oh yeah for sure um you know i don't know like that there's i think there is an aspect of this where he's such an innovator that you want to see him keep innovating right. but like he just does things on like anything he takes on, he just does it on such a great level. I would almost like see him take on something like Titanic, like a world, real world event, mm. and like make a make a spectacle of it. Um, yeah, I guess I like the comp to that right
1: now would be Nolan doing Oppenheimer, which we'll get next yes. year. you know, um, Nolan is is a bit of a comparison to Cameron in terms of the kind of filmmaker they spectacle. are. Spectacle. Um. Oh, one thing we should probably mention still regarding *Way of the Water*: uh, How did you feel about the character Spider? You know, new character, yeah. a uh, human, kind of a, a feral human character, quote-unquote, uh, an obvious homage to Newt from Aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's revealed quite quickly that Spider is also not just the son of a human who left, he's actually the son of Korich himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, How did you feel about, about Spider? You know, he's kind of, in a sense, an adopted son, still kind of an outcast. They really... Do their best, I think, to keep his arc close to the vest in terms of will he get connected to his dad, especially when he's like watching like the tape of Natiri killing his dad in real life. You mm-hmm. know, I think it was an intriguing character. I think for the most part, the fact that he was like a real person looked great next to all the Navi in the CG environments. Like, I, there was no uncanny yeah. value with him to me at all. But uh, how, how did you feel about the the spider arc? Obviously, he saves Avatar Korich at the end, even though he won't align with him. He's, he doesn't break bad or anything, but keeps Korich in play. Interesting character. You know, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I think I did like him.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think I was... um, I, I liked seeing him on the screen, like you mentioned. Seeing him next to the Na'vi was really cool. Um, And and I think he has some really great moments. Um, I, I think his connection with Korich was something that i was a little i don't know i, I don't know if it totally worked for me especially because i guess you know yeah and you know like at the end when Korich decides not to like or to let go of one of the the daughters i think it was Tuke that he had that, at that point to let go of Tuke in order to like not have natiri kill spider which i don't think she would have done anyway but obviously like He wasn't going to let her like call her bluff and like let her potentially do it. I don't know if that like fully made sense because as much as there was like they were kind of setting up like, oh, their connection was building, like, like he said, it's not actually his son. Like, this is not like he has his memories. uh, The Avatar has the memories and the personality, but it's not actually the Avatar's son. And Porch is such a cutthroat person in all these movies. I wouldn't, I I don't know if that totally made sense or hit for me. Um, I, I do think Spider. Like saving Korch was one of the most, like, "Ah, a fucking course. Like, this guy just can't fucking die. Like, no matter what they do, he just can't fucking die moments. And I was actually kind of looking forward to them just like introducing like a new villain in the next one, like someone maybe. Yeah, in Avatar: Way of the Water,
1: as like the new commander of the human presence.
0: Right. So I was like, okay, like this is gonna be a chance for them to like introduce a new villain, like really level up. But this guy's just like the Terminator now. Like he's just gonna keep getting bigger and better. Right. Well, I think it could be interesting if maybe Korra gets to like break
1: bad and go rogue a little bit and not be directly aligned with the humans and almost be like a third faction or force in some way. Hmm. Not sure if you could get there like dramatically with making that make sense, but that kind of came to mind for me. Um, yeah well on its face though like we, we saw that new human base and all the tech they have and stuff and it's like clearly the, the, the Navi insurgency will not end anytime soon mm-hmm. uh, as that's established for the third movie but yeah um, I guess more to come uh, TBD on, on the spider character right I think overall the other Sully kids I think are all resounding successes and yes. spider is not, not 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 a success. This is probably not as successful. Or probably would need more time, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But for um, sure, yeah, man. I'm uh just I just was re- I had a really good time with it. I was really happy that I enjoyed it as much as I did because I had a lot of anticipation for it, and uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to have like a true like event movie here again, yeah. and and the box office will be very interesting to follow because this like not to the degree of the first one but it will perform like the first one where this movie is expected to leg out at the box office and really draw people to the theater for an extended amount of time at least until like martin luther king weekend you know assumingly it'll be like the number one for like you know five six weeks in a row so yeah it'll be interesting to see like casual movie going Attend this movie, similar to how Top
0: Gun Maverick performed. So, mm-hmm. the business will be interesting to follow. Well, Dave, that wraps us up for 2022 beyond our best of list. So, um please be checking that out. We're going to have our music best of list, our TV best of list, and then shortly after the start of the new year, our best movies of 2022, which I, I think we'll probably be talking about Avatar again. If I had to I guess. think so. Yeah. Um, so hit that subscribe on youtubecom slash Go to our uh, Twitter at NostalgiaPod and follow the link tree to follow the podcast any way you want to there. And also go to Spotify and follow our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. We'll see you in 2023.